my title for today actually is Shelter in the Storm. What an amazing week we've had in New Zealand. This time, a week ago, Todd Muller and Nikki Kay headed up the National Party and Amy Adams was number three. Now, those two ladies are retiring and Todd Muller's future is uncertain. A week or so ago, we had aluminium smelter at TY. Point is still a going concern. And about that long ago, Australia, in terms of cases per million, was sitting about 20 below us, which is why they were always saying our stats are better than yours, but now they're 140 above us and climbing. And all thoughts about a trans-Tasman bubble are well and truly gone for now. Stability as we know it is gone for the foreseeable future. We're going to move into recession, and as a country, people are adjusting to their dreams and aspirations to what is unyet our unknown realities. And it's a continuing ground that's shifting underneath us, and it's moving a lot. Um, our COVID-free status can be tenuous. Um, you know, we, we were worried that the last couple of weeks the people escaped. Could they have been? And as soon as it gets into the community, we get back into the horror that Victoria is experiencing with going back into lockdown and that. And just around the world, that uh, it seems to be out of control and crazy. You know, we know that a vaccine's going to come, but what's going to happen before that happens? So it is. It's a real storm out there. It's really unpredictable in its intensity and twists and turns. And we, as we've said, we're in such a fortunate place compared with most. But we're going to encounter challenges as well as they come. There are going to be emotional challenges, money difficulties, relationship strains and tension and anger and stress and anxiety that goes with it. And many in New Zealand are actually already started going through storms. And we here are not going to be immune from these difficulties either because it's going to be some tough times for us, either directly or through family, friends, loved ones and neighbours. What we have as God's people is resources that the rest don't. Isn't that right? They don't have them at least directly as we do, but I mean, the, rain, the rain shines on both, so they also get it as well. But we have those resources to help us to shelter from or to go through the storm. We've got the relationship with the creator of all, and our God comes to the relationship with an enormous amount of promises. Our job is to seek to access those resources as best we can. And sometimes it's not easy. Um, we do sit in difficulties and pain, or we see other followers who are doing the same. At times, we're not always great patience, nor strong in endurance, and sometimes we do have, as Dean said, our own ideas about when and how and what happens, and God does have his plans which are different from ours, and we don't find that easy. And sometimes we don't do disappointment that well. Along with that, we have an enemy who's totally dedicated to both discouraging us and maligning our relationship with God, totally driven to discredit God's character, um, to make him out to be either a liar or to diminish, in our eyes, the level of love that he has for us or that he gives to us. He's driven to causing our faith to leak because that's what tends to happen to it. It leaks and... Uh, it causes unbelief to slowly take hold and it renders our prayers ineffective or inappropriate. You know, he's just obstructive, destructive and wants to capitalise on every negative thought or sentiment and just give it as much ear as he can. You know, Jesus said of him, the thief comes only to steal, kill, destroy. 
He wants to destroy yours, ours, my concept of the, of the future here on earth is bleak or dull or irrelevant and, and that we just have years where we're just grinding away. And we see the media, which, I, which we have no doubt that Satan is influencing the tone and most of it, um, seeking to ensure it's presented in ways that are alarming, sensational, anxiety-inducing, confusion-causing. Um, I did coffee with one of our people last week and he said to me, don't get me started on the media. It makes me so angry how destructive. They are not just to, to us, but to all areas of society. But to us, of course, as well, matters of God are presented with a degree of ridicule, um, out-of-touch philosophies belonging to another era, or as simply nonsense professed by hypocrites. So how do we do best to ensure that we do not just shelter from the storm, but to stand if and when we get caught in some of it as well? Well, I just want to suggest five things. And the first is we must settle and if necessary, resettle all the time. We've got to settle ourselves in the truth that God is in control. Yeah. God is in control. And I think, actually think it's part of our deliberately taking up our cross every day to say, Lord, today, what is going to happen today? I don't know, but you do, and you are in control. Um, because, you know, things rattle our cage, and circumstances appear as though things aren't in control. But they always are. A couple of scriptures. Matthew 6 uh, 26, 52 and 53, Jesus says, put away your sword, Peter. Don't you realize that I could ask my father for thousands of angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. I'm in control. Or the one we know really well in 2 Kings 6, 15 to 17, the king of Aram was attacking Jerusalem, but every maneuver was being thwarted by, was being thwarted by God, revealing his plans to the prophet Elisha. So where does he live, says the king? And when he found out he's in Dothan, the king of Aram sent horses, chariots, and a great army and went there by night and surrounded the city. When the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army of horses and chariots surrounded the city. Oh no, my lord, what are we to do, he asked Elisha. I think I'd be like the servant if I went outside and found, how do you reckon you'd go? Yeah, yeah, be pretty terrifying. Don't be afraid, Elisha answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, Open his eyes, Lord, that he may see. And the Lord opened his servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. God is in control. Amen. In 2 Kings 6 and 7, we read sometime later that Ben-Hadad, king of Aram, mobilized his entire army and marched up and laid siege to Samaria. There was a great famine in the city, which lasted so long that the people were resorting to cannibalism. The king, in his distress, announces that he will kill Elisha, the man of God. This desperate situation is obviously his fault. Elisha, on the other hand, advises that food will be plentiful in 24 hours. Cannibalism to plentiful food in 20 Are you kidding me? So what happened? You know, four, four lepers in their starvation decide to throw themselves into the mercy of the enemy because as far as they can see, they're going to die anyway. So they go down there and find the camp is utterly abandoned. The reason? God had thrown their army into panic and they just abandoned the place in terror. Food was plentiful. God is in control. Last one, Luke 4, 24 to 30. 
Jesus had been speaking in the synagogue, and the passage just says in, in Luke how impressed the listeners were with him. Though, wasn't he the son of Joseph? And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, no prophets accepted in his hometown. I assure you that when there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time, when the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land, Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in the region of Sidon, an outsider. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet none of them, not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, they drove them out of town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. And I wonder how Peter and the apostles, I guess, following things up the hill might have thought about this. But what does it say? But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. And I kind of looked at commentaries of the Bible to see how, what did happen, how they did see that. Um, but yeah, they, they wonder if it might have happened at great speed or, or things like that. But it just says, um, Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. God is always in control. So what's a couple of points for the outworking of this? Well, because when people determine it, determine that God is always in control, things happen. But you know, there's someone who's part of this church family who over the years has had a lot of issues, mostly health, happen, and was asked, have you ever said to God, why me? Why me, God? Why are all these things happening to me? And the response came back. The person said, instead of asking why me, I would ask you, why not me? I submit to acknowledging that God is in control of my life wherever it goes. And one of the very last acts of a mentor, mentor of mine and dear friend to many here, Jim McLean, left a deep impression on me. And Jim, as you know, had to deal with Parkinson's disease over the last years of his life. And I visited him one time in hospital near the end. And while I was there, I was asked, would I help him just shift from one bed to another? Now, Jim, by this time, was odorous. He had a catheter. He was incontinent. And he knew all these things. As we moved him, I heard him say, very quietly and with difficulty, because that was what, what was happening, um, Lord, let this somehow be for your glory. Um, and here he was in the depths of humiliation, and he hated it. I knew he hated it. And he was dealing with, with it by calling upon God, acknowledging that God still is faithful in his word, that in all things he works for good, that God is in control. And I know you, when you went to visit him in those last few months as well, and said, how are you, Jim? He would always say, it is well with my soul, was always his response. Physically ravaged, but it's well with his soul. Yeah. And so I think part of this that comes out of these sorts of things is a powerful weapon against the enemy. And I want to use uh, just the example. It's a fiction book um, that I know many of you have read, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. Fictional story of how the evil world is at work. Um, and the, the book is a series of letters from a senior devil to a junior devil, advising him on how to deal with a new convert to the faith, what he needs to do to make sure he gets snatched back into the kingdom of darkness. Um, and so at one point, Screwtape says, for us, the devils, our cause is never more in danger than when a human, 
no longer desiring but still, intest- still intending to do our enemies, that is God's will, looks around upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished, asks why he has been forsaken, but still obeys. Still obeys. I'll say that again. Our cause is never more in danger, the evil world, than, when, than a human no longer desiring, but still intending, to do the enemy's will, looks around him, even and upon a universe in which every trace of him seems to have vanished, and asks why has he been, been forsaken, yet still in planned, intends to obey. Or as Job said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. So I just really want to encourage you, work on to, to have the platform that God is always in control. Second thing, I think we need to settle, and again resettle, and we've been singing it a lot today, God is for us. God is for us, in everything he is for us. Because a lot of Christians don't believe it, and because mostly they don't believe that they're good enough for him, or have walked the journey well enough that blessings should come their way. Yeah, I, I hear these things when I talk to people um, and pose it as a question. How many, because uh, I know several do, have the guilty thought that when trouble or pressure comes, that they, the thought comes from the guilt thought, oh, well, you're only going to God when you're in trouble. You're actually quite so flashy going at him, going with him when things are going well for you. They struggle with those. Well, why would you expect God to do anything for you when you're battling with a sin or attitude? Or how can you come to him when you've, when you've got a secret sin that you like and those sorts of things? Why do you think you're deserving of me anyway? Or the comparison thing. Should God do anything for you when your situation isn't as bad as X's? Thing? And people have heaps of thoughts like that. Um, and... They get to be things that play on their minds and cause their hopes to sag, their faith to leak, and they drift out of the Word and out of God in those ways. And it's crazy because we decide how He must be viewing us, and it's seldom favorably. Seldom favorably. Um, yeah. I mean, and that's why Ben has been saying for years, you hear him say it all the time God just loves you. How many times a day do you say that, Ben? Yeah, all the time you do. God just loves you. You know, we've been singing it today. Because he does, God does. But I know that Ben speaks it out by faith. He speaks it out when things are going well or when they aren't. Because he he refuses to let anything come in and knock the truth. That God just loves him and he loves each one of us. And he does. God is actually, I believe it, relentless in his pursuit of us. Um, And we know, you said to the woman in adultery, neither do I condemn you, full stop. He did say, go and sin no more, but neither do I condemn you. Um, And he says that to us too. It's something for us to work on, but his love for us isn't conditional on our work at all. And we know in Hebrews 4, 14 to 16, since therefore we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we don't have a high priest who's unable to empathize in our weakness but we has one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace and help us in our time of need. God is always for us. Come always in confidence. Yeah. Thirdly, 
I think we should seek to become consistent prayers for ourselves and for others, particularly for others, bigger prayers. And part of the thing is we must. These are unprecedented times. Some of you will remember the great Welsh intercessor, Rhys Howes. Read his book? He's an older one. I know a lot of you have. He was the founder and president of the Bible College of Wales. Students at the college prayed from 7 till 11 every night for six years, for the six years that World War II was on, for the nation. And many believe that the prayers had a significant effect on the saving of England. This isn't World War II, but COVID potentially is having an impact on an even bigger proportion of the world than World War II, and it's an economic ringing ball, wrecking ball. Wrecking ball, yeah. So I encourage you, pray as we did today for the release of this epidemic from the world and the suffering it's causing. And actually, even when we had the, um, the pre-meeting, pre-meeting at church this morning, you know, prayers broke out for, Lord, release the world from COVID and all it is doing. I think it's so important. Richard Foster says, All who have walked with God have viewed prayer as the main business of their lives. John Wesley said, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. So having said that, here is my plug for the prayer meeting on the first Wednesday of every month. We had five last month. We're um, praying for 35 this month. First Wednesday, 7 to 8. See you there. Yeah. Um, in Philippians 4, 6 to 7, we read, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is not a call not to be anxious. It's a call to pray. Pray about your anxiousness. Ask for peace. Ask for hope. Pray about your insecurities in every situation. It's actually a legitimate request to say, God, I'm anxious. I'm frightened. I'm unsure. I need your help. Come with me. Um, yeah. Fourthly, shelter from the storm by sheltering with other believers. As much as you can, share your burdens, your fears, your worries with trusted others so that they can walk with you and encourage you. Jeanette was speaking to one of our people a couple of weeks ago. It was a guy... A Guy, there you go. I was going to keep it anonymous, but that takes half of it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. On the phone a couple of weeks back, and the person, he, now I've got it now, <laughs> ran off a list, list of incidents that was happening to him at the time. Jeanette suggested that perhaps the person was under spiritual attack, and as soon as she started praying, the person immediately felt the burden lift, immediately. Now, I know there's a balance here of blaming everything on Satan and, and whether that's a problem and all that, but Satan is relentless and insidious, and he attacks us all the time, so it's always actually good to check it out if that's um, part of where you're at. Um, you hear me talk a lot about walking with others, but I, I, it's, I just find it critically important um, because you see the damage that's done by people who don't seek help with issues that they need to. And it, and it can be enormous damage, um, even devastating. And for those of you here who aren't in a life group, I just really encourage you to join one. Um, yeah. 
We used to sing an old chorus called, Brother, let me be your servant. Brother, let me be your servant. Let me be as Christ you. That's the easy bit. All of us will take off, off, really happy to take the shirt off our back for others. Second part of it was, pray that I might have the grace to let you be my servant too. Because that's the, that's the hard one. And, you know, why is it? Why is it that we always want to appear without weakness? Why is it? Why do you, when the camaraderie, the, the depth of character that comes from vulnerability and sharing with people uh, that. So we fight tooth and nail to be problem-free. A pride, I just think, is such a hindrance. Okay, lastly, I want to encourage you to be, take some time to become meditators and reflectors, to take time to dwell on who God is, what he's done for you, to relive, to relieve, relive, your special God moments, to remember how your life was before you became a believer. That point of realizing that for you, the sacrifice of Jesus and all those sorts of things. I am forever grateful to God who back in 1979 took a broken, lonely, directionless 23-year-old who considered himself unlovable and introduced him to grace, salvation, a life with purpose, life with a true identity rather than my own manufactured one. And I just shudder to imagine what my life would have been like without him. I know these are basics, but if we do them diligently and consistently, we will find resource when we're stretched, endurance when we're tired, and the companionship of others as we journey together. We will find shelter in the storm. And the storm itself can be depowered by God's people who are able to fight it and to endure it with the extra and different resources. I'd like to finish with a song that many of us know. I just want to encourage you with how, partly with how God sees and feels um, about us, but it's also a song about people who have achieved, have achieved some growth who are walking, working through a storm in their lives. Doesn't hide you, evil doesn't ill despair can disguise you.
Let's pray. Jesus, you are both in control and you fail us not. Every demon, spirit and hell trembles when your name is heard. There is nothing that can compare with the power of that name. You are Jesus, you are Lord, you are God. Father, thank you that you are and you will be our shelter from the storm, whether we are inside or whether we are out in it. And Lord, I pray that you'd empower each one of us now with the resources we're going to need for the journey ahead. And I thank you that you will. I pray, Lord, we would be totally settled that you are in control, that you're totally for us, that we would become diligent prayers, that we would have the courage to seek and find a trusted friend to walk with, and we would meditate on your greatness and your goodness to us. Please equip us to be your salt and light to others by your life that's flowing through us. And Lord, I want to pray for any here who's struggling with fear and anxiety or sin or an issue they feel disqualifies them from your love, even any in disobedience, Lord, or battling unbelief. Lord, is there anyone here who's lonely or lost or battling to see your hand on their lives? Lord, I ask that you touch them powerfully, particularly with a touch of the love you have for them and their incredible value to you. Amen.